If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hmm. I am going to eat this apple. It's a nice-looking apple. Look at me. Hmm. Yummy. Tastes good. There's nothing wrong with me eating an apple, is there? Absolutely not. Even vegetarians are not going to complain about me eating an apple. Not even vegans would complain. And yet eating a fruit is what got the whole human race into such a mess. As we read in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So here in Genesis chapter 2, God makes a standard known to the man that he has created. He's free to eat any of the uh, fruit he wants, except fruit from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, what happens? Along comes the serpent in the garden. And as Pastor Johnny pointed out last week, this could be seen as a sort of con game on the part of the serpent. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, as Johnny pointed out, cons are most effective when truth is mixed in with the lies. Uh, Let's look at the two assertions that the serpent made. One was, you will not surely die. And then he said, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Which part of that was the lie? It was not the part about you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He told the truth there. And we know that because later in the uh, chapter, God says this. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. So that part was not the lie. This was the lie here, folks. You will not surely die. And notice its nature and its purpose. The nature of this lie was to deny God's word. God said this. What did God say? Test the woman. Does she know this? God said, no, not true. Denying God's word. And that's all around us all the time. But the purpose of this particular lie was to remove the fear of the consequences. She said, I must obey or I will die. So you will not die. If you don't have to worry about consequences, what are you going to do? Well, let's look at the process. 
after he's challenged the word, testing to see if she knows it. It's very easy to mislead people if they don't know the word of God, but in this case, she knows it. Some people say she added to it where she says, you shall not touch it. But we don't know for sure if that was an addition. Maybe that was uh, another instruction God gave that isn't recorded. It really doesn't matter. The point is, she knew she wasn't supposed to eat of it. And this is how the process goes. First, you deny God's word. And then you accuse him of sinister motives. In this case, oh, God knows you're going to get something good out of this. And he's trying to keep it from you. God doesn't really have your best interests at heart. And that is a very, very effective lie. People look at God's stand and say, I don't want to follow that. That doesn't look good to me. And you start thinking, well, God is trying to stop me from having fun. God is trying to stop me from important things. There's that, that driving a wedge between her and God. The second element of the con, as Johnny explained, is an appeal to greed and lust or to fear. It can work both ways. But generally, you have to feel that you're getting something good out of it. Like Nobody's going to tempt you and say, hey, why don't you stick your hand into this tank here full of tarantula spiders? No, no, most people are not tempted to do that. Ooh, why don't you stick your head in a gas tank and light a match? Again, most people are not, uh, not going to go along with that. The con to work, what you get has to sound good. So here what the serpent has done is remove the fear, falsely, of course, and tempt her with something desirable. And then here comes the crucial part, folks. The woman does not have to listen to the serpent. After all, she knew what God said. She knows that God says it is good not to eat of the fruit and evil to eat of it. But what does she do? Because she doubts that God has her best interests at heart, perhaps. We see that the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She thinks it over. And she looks at this and she looks at that. And then she decides that she thinks it is good to eat the fruit. Look at all those good things about it. And she goes ahead and eats. Ironically, that is exactly how she comes to know good and evil. It's in a determinative sense, not in a cognitive sense. She will not go with what God says about good and evil, but she sets herself up as the judge of what is good and evil. And that I am the one who knows good and evil, not God. Now, we do note that in 1 Timothy 2.14, we read, the woman being deceived fell into transgression. We might think, well, that mitigates her sin a bit. It really doesn't. She was only deceived about the idea that she could get away with going against God. She did go against God. She chose to do it. She did it with her eyes open. She chose to become her own arbiter of good and evil rather than God's. And that is the way this works, folks. It's a universal pattern. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And this is exactly what we saw with Eve. Yes, the serpent was there. And yes, the serpent was untying, and yes, he lied, and yes, he ran a con. But at the end of the day, he couldn't make her eat. She made her own decision. She followed her own desires. If Eve had not wanted to be her own master, none of the serpent's lies would have availed anything. That's the way it works. You're drawn away by your own desires and enticed. And you know what? You could have some desires that you know are bad, and you feel it. You could still resist. Okay? She could have walked away. Instead, if you give into it, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When you act on that wrong desire, 
you have committed sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You know, Eve had her desire. She could have resisted. She could have gone with God. You act on your wrong desire to sin, and what's the end result? The end result is death. And this is what the serpent lied about. By the way, in case you're wondering who exactly is that serpent, guess what? He is still out there. Okay, we read in Revelation 12, 9, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He's still out there lying and deceiving, folks. He is, people are still out there falling into sin because of their own desires. This is always the way of the world. We've looked at Psalm 1 before. The attitude of people is that God's rules... God's lordship is, is a bondage. It makes us slaves, and we want to break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. People's desire is not to be under the rules of God, but to be the ones who get to know, as to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And sadly, it's not just among unbelievers. Increasingly, there's an attitude among professing Christians to not accept God's standards, but to make their own call. To, to, to make their own standards, to call good what God calls evil and evil what God calls good. This survey came from a few years back, 2017, by Barna. And this is a percent among practicing Christians who strongly agree with, with these statements. It's also another chunk that somewhat agrees. What is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. 23%, almost a quarter of professing Christians, reject God's right to determine what's good and evil, you get to decide yourself, just like Eve in the garden. If your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, it is wrong. 15%. Just, uh, I suspect it's probably quite a bit higher now because the, these are moving up quickly. Particularly, this is the case on sexual issues. People more and more are rejecting what God says about sexual issues. Now, there's huge pressure from the world to conform. There's like Satan the serpent in the Garden of Eden, they make it look good. This is the loving thing to do. And more and more Christians are going along with it. The mindset very much is becoming, it doesn't matter what God says, I will proclaim what is right and what is wrong. And you got a problem with that? I mean, what if you really don't agree? What if you really think this is right? What if you really think, who does have it right? Why should you follow what God says instead of what you feel? Well, how many of you have seen a sign like this? Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. I don't like them. Stop. You must wear a mask to enter our store. What do you think of them? You may not like them. I don't like them. I don't like masks. But I recognize the fact that the owner of the store has the right to set the rules for those who want to go in because it's his store. And the Bible does recognize this principle. In the parable of the workers in the vineyard, the landowner says, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? But I recognize that right. If it's your store, you get to set the rules. Okay? What I may think about it is irrelevant. Okay? If I see a sign like this, I have two choices. One choice is not to go in. I don't want a mask. I don't go in. But if I want to go in, I have to wear the mask because it's his store, his rules. What happens if you insist on going in without a mask? You know, say, you say, go up to the store and say, you know, security guards and friends say, yeah, I don't think it's wrong. to not wear a mask. I'm going in. You know, it does happen. It's happening more and more and more. There's a, there's a man who wants to get in. He doesn't have a mask. He's just trying to push his way past a Walmart employee to get in. <laughs> That's, 
boy seems to be quite a bit bigger than he is. I'm not sure it's a very smart thing to do, but it happens and it happens again. Pennsylvania man charged after altercation at store over not wearing a mask. Yeah, New Jersey man charged after grocery store altercation over wearing coronavirus mask. And it gets more and more violent. Here's this case, woman shoves the ground, breaks leg. You can kind of see in the picture there, this little old lady came in, she's not wearing a mask. This, this woman who didn't like that just grabbed her, flung her onto the floor, and uh, she ended up breaking her mask. The police aren't going to be happy with you. Here's when the cops will come in and take you down. And it can elevate all the way to the level of murder, where these security guards had a fight with somebody who wanted to not wear a mask, and he ends up getting shot to death, or killed anyway. So we know, okay, we know that in this world, where we live in community with other people, we cannot just decide for ourselves what is right and wrong, okay, and expect to get away with it. We do realize we have to follow rules. Consider, for example, if you decide that, you know what, I think driving down the right side of the road is no good. I'd rather drive down the left side. What's going to happen? Well, sooner or later you're going to hit somebody, run into another car. And then can you try, imagine trying to explain to the judge in the case that, well, look, I thought it's right to drive down that side of the road. Nobody should be able to tell me what to do. I'd like to see one of you guys do this <laughs> when you get into a stop by police for speeding saying to me, oh, you can't give me a ticket. I don't agree with your maximum 40 sign. I think it's right to drive 120 in a school zone. Think that's going to work? Think you'll get out of ticket? I don't actually want to see you do that, folks. You shouldn't be speeding. Or how about this? Some guy keyed your car, so you decide to punch his lights out. You know, hey, why not? He deserves it. There's nothing wrong with hurting somebody who hurt you. Okay? You don't think it's wrong, so you do it. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to end up here. Can you imagine what will happen in court when you try that defense? Well, I thought it was right. I don't see anything wrong with beating up the guy who keyed my car. You know you can't do that. You know that you cannot just decide what is right and wrong and proceed accordingly, because if you break the rules, you will be punished. You will face the consequences. You can't opt out of this, and you know it. Why do you think you can do differently with God? Why do you think that that simple, common, and prudent courtesy of following the rules of the store, his house, his rules, we don't have to do that same thing for God? Well, as we read in the Psalms, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in, in none of his thoughts. He has said in his heart, God is forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. That same old thing going all the way back to Garden of Eden that, hey, I can get away with it. There's not going to be an account and there's not going to be a punishment. Okay? So we can forget all about God. Okay? But as we've seen, okay, we respect the right of people to do what they want with their own things. To set the rules for their own house. So how much more does God have these rights? And remember, the entire earth is his house. The entire earth belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. And again, in Psalm 100, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves, but we belong to him. We are his people and we're living in his house. We're the sheep of his pasture. He built that pasture. It's his. 
it, he gets to set the rules. So if we respect the right of people to set the rules for being in their stores, how much more should we respect the fact that God gets to make the rules for us being in any of his houses, whether it's earth, whether it's heaven, whether it's hell? You make the rules for your own house, and you know that. People, strangers can't just walk off the street and enter your house without your permission. If you do allow house guests to enter, you set the rules for them. Hey, you got to take off your shoes. You know, don't eat crumbly crackers in my den where you're going to drop things all over the place. Right? You, you recognize your right to do that. How much more God to make the rules for his house? We got to respect that. Now, you can be proud and resist that. You can say, you know what? I know better. I'm going to set the standards of right and wrong. You know, I, I don't care what God says. And you're going to be like this poor little fish. You know, refraction light, he can't really see outside. All he can see is the water in the little glass. And he thinks, I am master of all I survey. He's the big cheese, the big boss of everything, everything that he can see. And we are looking from the outside, feel pity for this little fish. What a foolish little fish. He thinks he's master. He's just sitting there in this little glass of water. And there's a whole world out beyond him. He is master of nothing. And I wonder if God looks at us that way when we sit there saying, I am the master of our I know what good and evil. I get to decide. I don't have to follow God's rules. With no idea how big everything is around you and how God is in control, whether you like it or not. You are not the master. You are not God. You do have to obey him. Now, you can defy him if you like. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, you will be judged. You cannot escape it. You just like with a human court, you cannot say, look, I make my own rules. I don't have to stand here to be judged by you because I make my own rules. You will be judged. You will not get away from that. Now, in a human world, you might escape. You might be a very, very clever criminal and do a crime and never get caught. You could escape it human justice but here's the thing you cannot escape god's justice you cannot escape his judgment he sees all knows all everything is naked and open before the eyes of him so you cannot opt out now at this point you know you might think okay all right i you know i, I got accepted i don't like it but i got accepted i don't like his rules i disagree with them but i have to submit yeah that might be attitude Okay, and fine, you know, accept his rules. Here's the kicker, folks, though. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. First John 5, 3. And again, in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. People who don't like God's rules, who think that they know better, they have a better idea of how this world should be run, a better idea of what should be the standards of good and evil, have this idea that somehow God's commandments are arbitrary. He just, just pulls ideas off the top of his head and just puts them there to watch us squirm. And these commandments make are burdensome and they ruin life for us. They stop us from having fun. No. That's not the way it is. Look at Deuteronomy 6.24. We see, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, always. 
that it might preserve us alive as it is this day. Those commands are not meant to be burdensome. They're not meant to spoil fun. They are for our good. God has made rules for our good. And this here, think about it. This is the user's manual to the human being written by the designer of human beings. Who knows better what is good for us than the one who made us, the one who designed us? When we say, you know, we don't like God's rule in this matter. We don't think it's fair. We should get rid of it. And that might honestly seem good to us, but we have to understand he knows better. That little child, that four-year-old little child might want breakfast to be chocolate and lunch to be chocolate and dinner to be chocolate. And no responsible parent will give a child a diet of nothing but chocolate. Well, the child doesn't understand. It's good. I like it. Why shouldn't I have chocolate? You're ruining my fun. Why are you giving those fruits and veggies? And it's like that when we're saying to God, no, your standards are not good. He knows better. Some people, for example, get annoyed that the church addresses issues of sexuality, that they, they focus on these kind of things and try to tell you what's the right thing to do here. And they say, why can't we just let people do what they want? We know a lot of people practicing these things that the Bible says no to, and they're nice people, and they're, they're good people, and we should just leave them alone. Why should the church talk about these? Again, remember, God made these commands for our own good. And to go against them is not going to end well. We talk about issues of sexual morality because they're important. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20 says, uh, flee sexual immorality. Everything that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Sexual sin is serious business. There are attempts to cover this up, but it is devastating to the people who practice it. The harmful effects of some of these are much worse than, say, smoking. You know, we say smoking is bad. We try to ban smoking everywhere we look. But we don't want to let people know how much more dangerous sexual immorality is. So I ask you, you say, oh, this is a nice person. He's loving. Why don't we leave him alone? Well, because he's headed to a very bad end. If we actually do care about these people, shouldn't we be telling them the truth about life? And that God who designed us knows what's best for us? And to affirm people in a lifestyle that ends up being ultimately destructive is not loving. And on a societal level, there's a very interesting uh, study done by this fellow called J.D. Unwin. He did this, this massive study. He looked through... 5,000 years of recorded history from 80 primitive tribes, six known civilizations, the most extensive study ever done on these. His analysis of it is perhaps questionable, but the facts that he found and the documentation for it has never been challenged. Nobody's come close to doing what he did. And what he found is that every one of these 86 societies followed the same pattern. At the beginning, they were absolutely monogamous. The sexual relations were between a man and his wife, and that was it. Everything else was frowned upon. Every other form of sexual expression was frowned upon. And when they had that attitude, that is where the societies grew and prospered and did well and became powerful. And they found for everyone in these 86, they reached a certain point where they became comfortable, and they loosened these. They started accepting all other kinds of sexual moralities, things the Bible says not to do. And every single one of the societies collapsed. So our society now, currently, when they're telling you this is good, that's good, 
they are following the error that Eve followed. They're seeking to be like God, determining good and evil instead of following what God says is good and evil. They have sold you a bill of goods here, folks. When the world historical record for societies that abandon God's standards and abandon God's standards in the issue of sexual morality, their record is 0 and 86, zero wins, 86 losses. It's time to realize that God's standards are the right ones. The bottom line here, folks, if you think you know right and wrong better than God does, you're wrong. Look at any standard God sets his word and says, yeah, I don't like that. I think I know better. I think we should do it differently. You are wrong. And in the end, it will have disastrous consequences, not just for you, but for the people you think you're helping. Pride stops us from wanting to bow the knee to God, stops us from wanting to accept his standards, makes us want to think that we know better. Okay? We don't. Okay? We really don't. So I will leave you with this. If you want to be a proud person, if you do, you're so proud, you want to be proud. There's one thing and one thing only where the Bible says you can be proud. And here it is in Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, nor let the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So one thing you can boast about is knowing God and knowing that his standards are the right ones. That is what will make you a truly wise person. Uh, so let's stop questioning God. Let's start following God. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. <laughs>